As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello and welcome to Monday's edition of The Phil Hay Show. I'm Michael from The Square Ball and joining me having returned from a hot Southampton is Phil Hay. You made it back. I did, I did. Made it back safely. That game reminded me a lot of the Gary Monk season, Phil. It was all going really well, and then someone tweeted, and it was you. You ruined it. <laughs> Two games into the season. What did I say? I think I said that you can you can smell that one club here is in trouble. Um, that, and it doesn't, feel, it doesn't feel like Leeds, despite the injury to, to Bamford, and then, needless to say, it, um, it all fell apart. I, I, I still feel, and I, I, I don't think it's wrong to say that, Southampton don't feel as if it's um, if it's coming together there in the same way that it, it seems to be little by little under Marsh. I, I actually thought Leeds played very well for an hour. Deserved to be in front, deserved to be 2-0 up. And I, I, the last half hour was fairly baffling to watch. I, I think more than anything, because of the, the absence of, of substitutes and changes from Marsh at, at the point where Southampton just started to get up a, a head of steam, particularly because when we'd spoken to him on Thursday, it was, it was pretty much press conference. He'd said to us, you know, I, I think the substitutes will be fairly important this weekend because it was hot and it was absolutely stifling on the South Coast as it was everywhere else on Saturday. Um, but also because, you know, the, the way Leeds play, pressing and the, the energy um, of the football meant that that they were likely to tire in those conditions. And, and he'd said, you know, this might be a weekend where ha- the, the ability to use five substitutes could be crucial for us, could make a big difference. And and in the end, by the time we got to 2-2, we'd, we'd had the one change in the first half, the enforced change of Dan James on for Bamford um, because of Bamford's injury, but no other alterations. And and I did get the impression when March spoke afterwards, you know, that, that he regretted that himself and, and that given his time again, he would have made changes at the point where Southampton just started to to come into the game. You know, Hassan Hull went for broke really by putting on basically every attacking option that he had, switching to a system that Southampton, I think, are, are far more familiar with um, and seem to seem to cope with better um, than, than the, the initial system of, of three at the back, which they, they struggled with. And once they got their the first goal, you, you did feel that a second goal was coming unless Marsh was able to do something about it. So it's four points from possible six, it's four points in the first two games. But as Marsh said himself afterwards, you come away from that feeling like, Feeling like one point is less than you should have had and feeling like one point is no real reward for the position Leeds were in with an hour gone. The general gloom around Southampton, it did feel like we might be seeing a managerial sacking after two games at that point. And Hassan Udall's comments afterwards, it felt like he is feeling the pressure on this already. 
Yeah, he said, you know, we've, we've kind of destroyed some headlines that were being written. And you could, you got that sense in the press box that people were starting to look at him because they've had a, a couple of very mixed seasons, difficult seasons in Southampton where I think we said on the, the podcast last week, they've been okay for a bit and then they haven't been okay and it's felt as if the walls are closing in and, and the form has dropped out and Hassan Huttle's control of the club and the squad seems to have diminished. Um, there is pressure on him. You could feel the crowd getting tetchy before the first goal went in. You could feel them getting more and more tetchy um, at 1-0 and then 2-0 and, and it did feel as if it was heading in that direction and, and I think that fight back from Southampton has probably saved him a lot of grief of you know Saturday night and Sunday because he is clearly under pressure uh, and I look at their squad and and I don't feel as if they've they've got an awful lot in it that will save them from anything other than a relegation scrap. I don't, I'm not saying they will definitely go down, but I think they're they're kind of kind of at that level. From Leeds' point of view, I, I think it it should be a lesson learned for Marsh about you know the management of the game and and I have to say that you know I wrote after the Wolves game about the influence of his substitutions in that particularly the, the decision to replace Rodrigo with Cleek when he did it it made the difference and it, it turned the game but I think on Saturday when it needed to change um, and and when there needed to be decisions from the bench they they weren't forthcoming is it something to worry about or is it just a hallmark of a team that's finding its feet and truthfully this is what happens when you're in the middle to the bottom of the league I do feel like they are finding their feet and. I felt like there was plenty to to like about the football in the first hour. It seems clear to me that the players are starting to switch on more and more to um, the system and the tactics. And and more than anything, I think knowing what to do with the ball when it comes to them in transition, that's going to be such a big part of Marsh's tactical approach. It's going to be such a big part of the season, what they do with turnovers, what they do when possession falls to them. And they seem to know where they are on the pitch. They seem to know what they're doing, what they should be doing in those moments. It, I think the, the bigger concern on Saturday, um, rather than what happened towards the end of the game, because that can happen, and I think you know most people kind of felt that that it was on Marsh because of the, the lack of changes. But the bigger concern was certainly seeing no Gilhart on the bench um, before the game, seeing Bamford coming off um, midway through the first half with the, an issue with his groin, his his, his thigh. Um, exactly what, what we didn't want to see but I think exactly the sort of thing that was always going to refuel the debate about do the club need another striker do they need another forward and it does feel to me like you know that has crystallised that that discussion and not purely because of the fact that Bamford's limped off in that game you know Marsh expects him to be back in training this week Gilhart had a dead leg and, and likewise everybody around him thinks that he'll be fit for Chelsea next weekend or, or thereabouts but I think you just realised that um, you know seeing Bamford coming off like that, that there is pressure on him again there's a lot of pressure on him to stay fit to stay in the team to score goals and Leeds are still managing him you know I said to, to Marsh afterwards how is he going to get on a roll you know this might not be serious but it's another niggle it's another game that he hasn't finished it's something else that needs to be managed and he said yeah no we, we are having to be careful with him they've limited his training load through the week it's been a, a pretty gradual climb for him back from the, the injuries that, that bond last season and, and stopped him playing for most of it and I just think that it would do everybody good and help everybody to have an extra body in there it would put less pressure on Bamford to push himself and Marsh said himself, you know, that, that he doesn't want Bamford to push himself when he shouldn't. You know, he wants him to regulate his own body. He wants him, he wants to know when Bamford's not feeling right. And I think it just helps Leeds to be all they can be this season. It means that, the, you know, another body in means that they're not in a situation where they're asking Dan James to play as a nine, a position that is not his. And, you know, both Bielsa and Marsh have kind of intimated that it, 
it's not somebody he wants to play. You know, it's not somebody where he feels massively comfortable, but, you know, he kind of does a job to use that that awful phrase. I just think that in the circumstances, having somebody who can play as a nine is is what needs to be done. And it totally made sense to me that having given James a run there before half time, it was switched about at the break and it was Rodrigo who started there at the start of the second half. We did sign Rodrigo as a nine, so we all thought anyway. So is it only right that he's playing there and why is it taking so long for this to happen? Well, I think in the circumstances that you had on Saturday where he was as close to a nine as anybody else in the squad once Bamford was off the pitch, um, he had to play there really. Um, and, and Marsh did say afterwards that he thinks that Rodrigo is more suited to that role than Dan James, which kind of begs the question of why he hasn't been used more and, and why he hasn't been had more of a chance to, to flourish there. He, he clearly has goals in him. Um, and they were both, you know, they were both very good finishes, even though the second one was kind of yard out. Come on, you just scored the second one, Phil. I, w- I certainly would have done, yeah. And, and actually, to be fair to Leeds, they've been trying that ploy all day. But it was really, really well worked. It was the header at the front post. It was R- Rodrigo getting his positioning right and getting himself into space so that if that flicked header came across, he, he was able to turn it in. It was it was a clever goal. And the first one, likewise, you know, really good ball in from Harrison on the left and, and a good run to the near post, which made... Rodrigo's finished difficult and impossible to defend. I think, you know, if, if Bamford isn't fit, if Gelhart isn't available, it seems obvious to me that Rodrigo would be next in line for that. But it is quite intriguing that, you know, both Bielsa and Marsh have, have up until this point, have really used him in a very different role, you know, far more of a 10, far more withdrawn role. It's never seemed to me that that Rodrigo's entirely happy in that role. And, and it hasn't seemed at any point like he's been able to, to properly settle. But they have backed him this summer. You know, Marsh likes him a lot. Um, Victor Orta, I think, is is really determined to see this one work and see it see it pay off. And three goals in two games is not going to do him any harm at all. I think that was probably the biggest shot in the arm from Saturday was the fact that he was in the goals again, and he must be in as, as good a frame of mind as he's been in at, at any you know any stage of his time at Leeds. The problem I found with Rodrigo is that he gives the ball away too much when he's playing deep, and then sometimes the amount of pressing he can do in is trying to play a midfield role, isn't maybe quite up to scratch, which I guess all is taken out of his control a bit if he's up front because he just needs to stand there and score two goals a game, doesn't he? Well, he still needs to press. I mean, they, if you look at Marsh's team closely, when they're out of, out of possession, sometimes it drops into a bit of a 4-2-4 where you have the you, your forward players spread across the field and, and they try to, to hunt in packs and he certainly needs to do that. I don't think much as you would have said the same about Bielsa's team, I don't think this is a, a setup or a system that can accommodate a you know an out and out poacher who who just hovers around in the box looking for chances. He he will have to do more. But I don't disagree with you. I, I've never been convinced that his pressing is good enough or is is you know he, he has the, the running in him to be able to press in the way that Marshall needed him to, to be able to press in the way that Bielsa needed to. It doesn't seem to me to be his strength. And we wrote about Rodrigo right back when he signed from Valencia and kind of reflected on the fact that Valencia were not a pressing side at all. It was not what they did. So it was a complete culture shock or change of, you know, change of culture for him coming to a team who, who did press so much and and who, you know, continued to press so much under Marsh. But I think Marsh has worked hard to, to get his arm around him, to make him feel wanted, um, to feel included. There, there is always interest in Rodrigo, but at no stage of the summer, has you know transfer talk ever really got going about him? At no stage of, of Leeds seemed as if they were angling to find a club to take him or to you know to cash in to whatever extent they can. I don't think they're ever going to get twenty seven million pounds back on Rodrigo, but you know he, he would still be worth a, a certain amount. But it seems 
really that that he has been part of the furniture throughout preseason. That he is he is one of the fixtures. He, he is part of the squad. He's somebody who Marsh wants, and at, at the moment he's going to stay in the team because he he is being effective. One thing that did work: set pieces. Have you ever seen a Leeds team that looks dangerous from set pieces before? Because I'm I'm struggling to cast my mind back far enough that probably Will Coera, I think. Not to this extent. You'll remember they had um, Gianni Vio, um, set-piece specialist, back in the, the Christensen and Heckenbottom season. Um, and the odd thing about um, Vio is that he is very highly rated in the game. You know, he, he, he pops up at, at club after club. People do seem to value his input, but you never felt that there was any great effect on the set-pieces at Leeds. And, and actually, defensively, they really struggled with them that season. There was the one goal from Hernandez away at Burton, um, which was seen as a bit of a success story uh, in, in that particular year. But nothing like this, where it does look so coordinated and, and does look so effective. Um, and as I say, that the goal that came from Rodrigo, the second goal, it felt as if that had been on the cards for you know for quite a while. There was the chance in the first half, of, again, Rodrigo's header across goal, and it was Christensen and James, both totally unmarked about four yards out and, and made a mess of it. Nobody got a proper contact on it and, and, and nothing came of that chance. But it does seem as if that's going to be an effective part of of the strategy this season. It it does look good. I I, I suppose, I guess, you know, analysts worth the salt at other clubs in the Premier League are going to start looking at this now. And you know, I would imagine we'll look at ways to to combat it. But it has to be said that whatever's been done on them and the amount of work that that has been devoted to doing this is it seems to be paying off. And Bielsa more or less viewed them as cheating, as far as I understand it. He was very much a ball in open play. Um, man was was Bielsa. He was not somebody I think who devoted a huge amount of time to to set pieces and, and corners. And you remember that long, long stretch there was. I forget the exact number now where Leeds went without scoring from a corner. It was it was always seen as you know less of a weapon under Bielsa than the the open play. You know the things like the third man runs, the rotation out wide, everything else. That was that was what he concentrated on. I don't think it would be fair to say that you know Marsh isn't trying to put the pressure on an open play at all. You can see what what Leeds are doing. You can see how they're trying to open defence is up but he he evidently thinks that there's an advantage to be had at set pieces and, and there are marginal gains that Leeds can make there um, and you saw a great example of that with Rodrigo's second goal Our fullbacks looking pretty dangerous at both ends then because it wasn't great defensively No I, I feel as if I'm, I'm going to write about this this week and I feel as if we're going to be talking about this for a little while yet it, it is it is the area where they are vulnerable. I, I was speaking to our Southampton reporter before the game on Saturday and we were just discussing tactically how we thought it might go and, and I said to him, you know, this feels like a very winnable game for me from, from Leeds' perspective and I think if they play well and, and if they click going forward, then they'll have enough to win it and I still feel like they should have won it on, on Saturday. It just needed slightly better game management. But I made the point to him that if Southampton were going to get it Leeds, it probably was going to be out wide and it was going to be in behind, you know, by dragging fullbacks or whoever was covering that space out of possession or, or beating them on the overlap as, as um, Walker Peters did with Harrison for Southampton's equaliser. That was where the damage was going to be done. And in the same way as we're starting to see set pieces take hold and, and have a little effect, I think we are seeing that there's a, a, a pretty obvious area um, where leads are vulnerable when, when the opposition go at them. What do you think is going wrong for um, Christensen at the moment? Because of all the signings, he looked like he was probably most likely to slot straight in. He, he looked physically up to the Premier League. He's coming from a Red Bull team. Right back is truthfully generally one of the easier positions to slot into because you're not integral to the play. It felt like it was all set up for him. And of the players we've seen this season, he's probably been the worst so far. I think he's had two difficult games. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that at all. Uh, and it is a surprise to me. I, I felt, and I said a couple of times, that 
signing him for £10 million or, or thereabouts seemed like a, a no-brainer in the sense that he had a good pedigree, he'd had a good reputation at Salzburg. Um, analysis of his game seemed to find a, a lot of strengths in it and and cast him as a you know pretty capable and, and good fullback, good right-back. But he's found... He's found his positioning a challenge. I think a lot of people were surprised at the, the Wolves goal, how easily he was brushed off the ball for that, because he, he does have this kind of, you know, he, he has this hardcore demeanour about him, doesn't he? He looks like a, he looks like what you'd call a kind of classic hard man. He looks like somebody who could easily be a, a, a crowd favourite, a bit of a bit of a cult hero. Um, definitely got that that streak in him. But it's been tougher for him to settle than it has, you know, for, for somebody like Tyler Adams, somebody like Mark Rocker. Aronson, others on the pitch, it, it it is at the moment a position of weakness for Leeds, both on the right and, and the left-hand side. And I don't think, you know, again, I don't think Strike had a pool game on Saturday at all. I said to Dan on, on our Monday show last week that to give Strike his due, I do think he tries to do the right things um, as a left-back. It's just that he's never going to be somebody who's physically or, or you know, technically 100% suited to play in there. But I think that is the, the one area out of possession in the one area defensively, you know, on the on the wings where Mars still needs to find a bit of balance and needs to find a system, you know, a, a way of making this system protect Leeds a bit better. On balance then across these first two games, how do you reflect on them? I'm I'm kind of in two minds on it. I think I'd have definitely taken the four points. Disappointing not to have six, but then I also look at Wolves and Southampton and the general state they're in as clubs and the form they were in at the end of last season. And I think maybe it's a bit of a missed opportunity or am I being greedy? I don't think it's maybe a missed opportunity. It definitely was a missed opportunity on Saturday. 2-0 up with, you know, 20 minutes of the game to go and, and so many substitutes available. Balance of the game. Okay, it was turning at that point, but, you know, it'd been very much in Leeds' favour up to, to that point. It, it's a game they should have won. But it can't be a bad thing that we're sitting saying, it's, you know, it should really have been six points from these first two games. I, I think... The concern after last season and the running and, and you know the, the difficulty Marsh had in, in finding a plan that stuck and, and really worked for him was that we were going to come into this season and, and see more of the same. And I think had we had two fairly dubious matches, you'd, you'd be concerned at this stage about you know the difference that the transfer window and, and the, the coaching in pre-season had made. But I think you can see a positive impact from the, the signings. I think you can see a positive impact from the coaching. I think they've played well enough to deserve six points from from these fixtures. And yes, they should have taken them. But that in itself is, is I think, a, a good thing. And I felt even more so on Saturday, actually. Mars was saying after Wolves, you know, I can see how we're progressing. I can see how we're developing. I think I felt that even more so on Saturday without disregarding what went on towards the end and the fact that, that it finished 2-2. I can see growth um, and I can see... I can see the, the the tactical system falling into place. I, I think I can see ways in which it's going to work for Leeds and I can certainly see ways in which the signings they've made fit. I think one promising aspect of, of the weekend was that when Bamford went off, I don't think it actually made us all that much worse, whereas I feel like towards the end of last season, we looked a bit lost without him. I think I think they looked generally lost. It wasn't just with, with him. Um, something tells me, though, that too many games where you're asking James to fill in for Bamford up front are going to come at a cost. And, you know, I, th- I think Chelsea this weekend at Ellen Road is going to be a considerably more difficult game than, than the first two. And the sort of game where you are less likely to get away with, you know, square pegs and round holes, um, to go back to that phrase that we, we always use. I mean, there was the chance for James in the first half, and I think that is exactly what both Bielsa and Marsh were, were, have been trying to get from him as a nine, you know, using his pace to get beyond the last man and, and to pick up balls through. And to some extent, it might be that because Leeds play in such a vertical fashion under Marsh, that that would suit somebody like, um, like James better. 
but I still don't think it's a solution, a long-term solution. I still don't think it's, it's the right solution. I think the easier way to handle this is to make sure that you have a, you know extra resources up front that mean that if you are missing Gilhart, if you are missing Bamford, there is somebody else who can who can fill in. Perhaps that nine could be Rodrigo. You know, perhaps in, if if he gets an extended run, he will genuinely thrive there. But I think you have to be realistic in saying that at no stage of, as have Leeds had a full season from Gilhart because of his age and, and because of his development. You know, he's still. I think he'll play a lot more this season, but it, it's difficult to know how much you could rely on him through a thirty-eight game campaign with Bamford. You know, it, it's been a handful of competitive starts in the best part of a year. He hasn't scored competitively since December. It, it is a gradual process. And I think, you know, there's probably only so much Leeds can expect of him. They would love him to be back and playing, you know, game after game, week after week, no problem at all. But him coming off on Saturday just was a little bit of an alarm bell for me and, and made me think that they need to mitigate that and they need to make sure that not everything is on Bamford and not everything is on Gilhart. If you're into your tactics and football analytics and you're looking for a deeper understanding of the game, you can join me, Ali Maxwell, along with Michael Cox and the rest of the Athletics data team for our Football Tactics podcast. Find new episodes every week on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I know you love this time of year, Phil. How many days left until the transfer window shuts? Or are you doing it in hours and seconds and minutes like Sky Sports News? I was going to say like the Sky Sports countdown. Yeah, we're, th- we're getting there, aren't we? A um, couple of weeks to go and everything's going to be everything's going to be focused on a striker from the point of view of people on the outside of the club. It, it's The message has definitely changed. There's no doubt about that. Um, they've 
gone from indicating that a, a forward would definitely come in, and I think primarily because of the chase with the Catalan and the decision that they, you know, they would absolutely commit to that if he was willing to come, to a position where you you are almost getting the impression that if they if they couldn't find what they wanted, um, or if they were content with the squad as it was, then they would almost be happy to exit this window without adding a adding another player. Um, I think that line is going to be more difficult to push and more difficult to sell after what went on at the weekend. As as I said in part one, I think as much as anything, because saying to people that you know you will rely on Bamford as your centre forward um, this season is. It, you know, it, it isn't wholly credible on the basis that they are still managing his training load. You know, he, he he's had this niggle at the weekend. They they just need to be covered in that area, and it would make sense to me to um to do that. We could go on about left back as well because we've, we've been discussing that all the way through the summer, and and I still think that's a position that that needs to be assessed and and needs to be strengthened. Um, but it does seem to me that that a forward is is the one thing. If they're going to do one thing, and and Marsh called that the the kind of last decision of the window. If they are going to do one thing, I think that needs to be it. Is Marsh being quite kind to the border? He seems to always be very gentle in the way he says. Like I think his his phrase another weekend was. I think it's something we need to continue to evaluate with the striker, whereas you get the feeling someone like Conte would say, it's a disgrace, we just need to buy someone. Yeah, Conte probably would because Conte tends to um, just throw his hat in the ring and, um, and and say whatever is in his head. I think Mars genuinely appreciates what they've done for him in the market this summer, that they've they've signed the players they wanted to sign with the exception of the Kettler. They, they got the other five that he was after. Players who, you know, fitted into the way he wants to play, not just kind of generic signings, you know, sign for a reason and sign because precisely because they, they would fit. I don't think in any way he feels like he hasn't been supported, hasn't been backed. He's got his assistant, Rennie, Rennie Maric. Um, I, I think he feels like it's it's all come together. I wouldn't have said that the the messages are different from him and the club or, or from Radrazani. He is, he is really pushing the, the same line, which is that... It, the striker they get has to be exactly the striker they want. It has to fit a certain profile, has to be of an age that isn't going to affect Gelhart, isn't going to um, obstruct Gelhart. But it must be difficult to come away from a game like that on Saturday and to know that you've got a, another issue with Bamford, albeit not a major one, but you know another niggle that you're going to have to deal with um, and not think to yourself that's somewhere where you know we we could do with more cover. And I was thinking about this on the on the long drive home. I don't think signing a striker is necessarily going to be the difference between Leeds being in trouble and not being in trouble. I think they're probably good enough or, or have the ability to keep themselves clear of that anyway. But I think it might limit how far they can go this season and it might limit their potential just if Marsh finds himself in a, in a stretch where he doesn't really have a nine and he's having to make do in that position or you know, at points where he doesn't feel like he can push Bamford as much as he wants to um, or whatever else you know that will limit how good leads are going to be It'll limit how quickly this team are, are going to develop so to my mind it, it makes total sense and I do understand you know w- without it being a, a massive point of panic I don't think I do understand why a lot of people are talking about this Striker linked in the last 24 hours or so from um, Gianluca Di Marzio who is described on his own Twitter as a football transfers expert 1.7 million really followers Wilfried Gunonto from uh, an Italian play in Zurich any truth in that one? Um, the message I've had has been playing that one down this morning, um, so I'm I'm not convinced that's that's going to happen. He's he's a good talent. He's um, Italy international already, um, but and and you have to say he would very much fit into the sort of profile that Leeds do go for. You know, young players with with potential, um, but young at 18, um, without a doubt, younger than than Gilhart. But no, it's kind of a bit of cold water poured on that this morning. 
it seems I mean when you when you speak to Marsh and, and when Marsh talks about it, it seems clear that they are still looking and they are still analysing. I don't think Marsh would be saying that if they want. You know, so it's not as if the door is closed on this completely. But I think what we the way we're all seeing it on the outside, you know, that there is this need and there is this gap and, and it should be filled is not necessarily how they feel on the inside at Leeds. I think it's it does seem to me to be far more a case of them happy to, to go for a player if there's somebody who fits perfectly, but not to go for a striker just for the sake of having another striker in the squad. A couple of other people we've been linked with in the past quite heavily, Ollie Watkins and Che Adams. It seems Adams might be on his way to Everton, whereas Watkins maybe is kind of out of favour at Villa. He does seem to be out of favour. Yeah, no, they looked closely at Watkins um, back when they signed Rodrigo from Valencia. And I think had had Valencia not um, agreed to sell Rodrigo, or had they not been able to do that deal, Watkins is almost certainly who they would have gone for next. There was plenty of contact there and, and plenty of discussion about it. I don't see them going back in for that one, particularly um, I think Villa would want to recoup some cash in that if indeed you know he, he is going to be on his way. And there hasn't really been any movement on the Shea Adams front at all. We know that, that Leeds like him. That goes back to 2020 when they, they very nearly signed him. Um, but all the links there do seem to be with Everton. Although, you know, he played on, on Saturday. I didn't think by any stretch he was the most effective of the forwards that Southampton had. It was the other players that, that Hassan Hull sent on, Adam Armstrong and um, and Mara, who, who changed the game, Aribo as well, more than um, more than Adams was able to, to affect it. So no movement there. And I get the feeling that they're looking at other people. Were we ever looking at Mara this summer? I know he was linked at some point, but then so were a hundred other players. He was linked and he's certainly somebody Leeds will have looked at and, and certainly somebody they, they will have analysed because he's an extremely good talent and a lot of clubs were, were interested there. But in terms of the forward, it, as much as they, they have looked at um, Calamendu and, and um, Martin Terry as well over at Rennes, it's very clear from speaking to Radrazani that De Ketla was 100% the player they wanted and 100% the player they were they were holding out for. And the fact that he's gone to Milan and they haven't, haven't got him just seems to have pulled the drawbridge up a little bit, I think, with that one, hundred percent ready to go for it. With with the others they're looking at, they, they certainly seem to be to be dithering and, and and biding their time more. And one you just need to say isn't happening, Melier to Man United. Well, what a move that is at the moment, eh? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think yeah, the, the, there is loads and loads of interest in Melier. I, I do feel like he's he's going to be one of Leeds' most important and, and probably best players this season. Um, Tottenham are side who are particularly interested in Millie, and and obviously at some point I, I, the the goalkeeping situation is is going to change there. At the moment, it seems hard to me to understand why anybody would countenance a move to to Manchester United um, or or anybody of any great value. I mean, there, there was all the discussion with Calvin Phillips about the fact that he wouldn't go there because of his lease link. And, you know, he said that himself and it was very true. You know, that was you know, never on the cards for him. But I also felt it was out of the question because in a toss-up between Manchester United and Manchester City, I mean, there was no decision to make at all. And I don't think your most elite players at the moment would feel that going there is taking them to a truly elite club. It's a complete mess. Um, they, they got roundly hammered at Brentford at the weekend. So I don't doubt that there will be um, there will be serious interest and at some point there are bound to be bids in the post for, for Melier. But I think my, my sort of reading of the situation is that without anything having properly developed at this stage, I think Tottenham would be a far more likely destination for him. They do need him, though, based on De Gea's performance at the weekend. Absolutely, absolutely. But um, I don't think they're going to get him. I know a lot of the media spent some serious time this weekend discussing the 
what a shame it is that a great club like Man United has been uh, has been ground into the dirt like this. But that's not going to come from here because I'm not professional enough to to show a, even a vague interest in it. I think it's uh, I think it's quite funny. Um, but that's that's what you're going to get from Leeds fans. I am afraid. Other things this weekend. What did you make of uh, of Conte and Tuchel? Is that something no one likes to see and a disgrace to the game, or is it is it quite funny? No, it, it always happens. I, I thought it was quite amusing. Um, I mean, those are two coaches who are not going to take a backward step, Conte especially, and that clearly is the, the history between between Conte and, and Chelsea. But um, us journalists love all that sort of stuff, don't we? Good headlines, good headlines. Have you got any similar battles in the press boxes where you're, re- you're refusing to shake hands with Graham Smith or someone, old adversaries, you know, someone who's taking your, your old job? Well, I do remember Stan Collymore offering Graham out. Um, I think it was last season or the season before. But no, we, we tend to be pretty good friends in there. It's a long time since I've seen um, seen a proper punch up in the press box, but it does happen. A bit of a bit of an old school thing, that though. Just to finally cover off from the uh, from the Southampton game, then who was your man of the match for that one? I think I, I think I've got to give it to Rodrigo for the two goals, but. I have to say that in the first hour, I, I really liked a lot of the work that Tyler Adams was getting through in the midfield. It's quite understated. I think it probably goes unnoticed quite a lot as well. He's not flashy, not spectacular, but I, I more and more look at him and Rocker and think that there's a, a good balance of yin and yang there. Rocker seems to have those surgical passes in him, that nice ability to, to spread the play and, and stretch the play. And I think alongside him, he's got somebody who's going to be very, very industrious right the way through the season. I, I can't pretend that the, the shape and the, the quality of it didn't drop out um, in the last half hour because plainly it did. But I think in those circumstances, players like them could have done with some help from the bench. Um, so it goes to Rodrigo, but I thought Adams had a good game too. How do you think Jesse Marsh is feeling this morning? Do you think he's, I know on the weekend he seemed a bit he seemed a bit down on himself, saying he should have made the changes earlier, and he seemed to know what had happened after it had happened, just a little bit too I, late. I think so, without saying openly, because managers never do this. You know, I made a mistake. He he wasn't far away from admitting that. You know, if he if he went back to that point in the game, he he would have done things differently. I, I think tactically there was frustration for him as well because Leeds had kind of shifted to more of a five-man defence and you know Harrison got done for the second goal by a, a you know it was a, an absolutely killer pass uh, from our out the out the middle of the pitch um, but the run from Walker Peters you know was was easy enough for Harrison to track he just got caught by a yard and, and Walker Peters was gone and, and able to score so there will be lingering frustration and he will know that they've thrown those points away but I, I suspect that he'll be quite happy with how you know, the, with the way in which the performances have fallen into place, with the good aspects that he's seen from the team, there are things that need to be worked on, the things that need to improve. There's, there's no doubt about that at all. Um, but I think he'll feel that the impact of his coaching over the summer and the impact of the transfers that they've made are, are starting to to take hold. And, and I think he'll say to himself deep down that they've had two games, they should have won them both. And that's not a bad sign. And no doubt looking forward to a bit of a ruck on the touchline. I felt Hassan Hussle and him were always going to have that Red Bull respect between them, whereas it's got, I think it's got potential for, to blow up. Although is, is um, Tuchel going to be banned for this one? Well, we'll see what comes um, of uh, of that you know, fall to, to the FA to decide what, what they're going to do, if anything. He's a big guy, Hassan Hussle, actually. He's quite, um, he's quite deceptive. When you see him on the on the TV, you, you don't realise, but he's he's a big fella. Um, so not somebody you want to mess with. I think Tuchel is probably somebody you'd be, you'd be happy to take on in a fight. Um, but he's already had his touchline tangle so far as Marsh um, with Bruno Lage, and, and I suspect he won't want to make a habit of it. Thanks very much, Phil. Dan's back later in the week to speak to you, so I'll just be sat in the, uh, sat in the other chair, chipping in with the odd bit of nonsense as usual. So you get a professional host back. If you Top haven't, luck, Michael. Top luck. 
If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, you can get it for £1 a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash leadspod. We'll speak to you later. The Phil Hay Show. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.